0: Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Chris Chetland. Chris is a multi-award winning, record-breaking audio mixing and mastering engineer, producer, studio and label owner from Auckland and New Zealand. Uh, I met Chris in 2012 when our band The Company won a New Zealand On Air Making Tracks grant for our song Two Bucks and um, we chose him to record, mix and master the song. So um, they were good times indeed. On any different week, you'll find at least two or three tracks or albums in the... New Zealand music charts that Chris has worked on his output is prolific to say the least um, he also mixed and mastered Scribe's debut album Crusader um, not many if any. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that uh, we chatted about his early days in the metal band dance parties in the 90s forming Cold transmissions digital streaming the cultural renaissance currently being seen in the New Zealand music scene and a bunch of other stuff I won't waffle on anymore. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Chris Chetland. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Rolling. Chris Chetland, welcome to the Gig Life podcast. Gotta. Gotta, boat. Gotta, boat. What's going on? What are you up to?
1: Um, I'm having my dinner at the moment. Yep. Uh, it's a long day and I'm running behind on things, hence, um, yeah, having some dinner. Yeah. Well, Other than that, <laughs> yeah. Food's, <laughs> <right>. food's important. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. get pretty, uh, after a day of working in the studio, yep. you get shattered. Yeah. So if you don't eat, if I don't eat, I'll probably start fading out and going off on even more random tangents than i usually would so, <laughs> well uh, that might be, that might be fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so what yeah. are you what are you working on at the moment and then we'll um yeah, we'll... um we're doing like a 16 track album at the moment but we're just doing a couple of days a week mixing for that you know we don't do we mainly focus on mastering but we do the odd little you know projects of mixing um yeah, this one's particularly good because we're working with a guy, Tim Skeddon, who's a really good writer and producer. And so he's worked with the likes of um, Op Shop, The Feelers, Babysitter Circus. So he's had like, so many, you know, number ones and top tens. Um, and he's a total freak in the studio as well as being entertaining. So, um, yeah, we're just working on this project. Um do it, we're just working on all the mixes at the moment so yeah it's it's intense because we're going into such big detail but it's good cuz Tim can he can see things that virtually no one else sees or you know the his vision on the program is um yes yeah, really impressive so yep um, um what, what's the style um it's quite 90s influenced rock um primarily uh, with a bit of pop feel on this one um but yeah you know some of it's sort of more indie along the lines of pixies and breeders and some of it's just more rocky Uh, um you know straight rock um yeah but it's yeah it's cool yeah we're really getting to try out a whole load of really cool techniques and then referencing back to stuff that you grew up with and seeing often how um the mixes of stuff that you thought was so amazing at the time now just doesn't even really stand up to the modern production techniques, available tricks that you can do. Uh, so referencing that and trying to pull in the best parts of that, but then add in all the modern aesthetics and then take it in its own direction. So it's, it's a, a unique thing. So it's pretty interesting. The, uh, the challenger that we pretty shattered by you know, after six hours, which is, um, we're going pretty deep on it, so usually you can work a bit longer than that. But yeah, six hours we're fine. I
2: don't
1: so just before we need just to on that, lay down.
0: Yeah, on that a little bit. If you if you're sort of pulling up tracks that you thought sounded amazing back in the day, and then mm. you're sort of comparing it to now, how does it make you feel about that old track? Do you, still, do you still kind of have that 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 original vibe with that track, or are you disappointed that it doesn't
1: sound like it should sound today? Um. If you listen with just on the melodic content and the vibe of the track, then there's no difference. But if you put your modern production aesthetic and knowing what you can do with sound, um yeah it's like, oh yeah, okay, it is just a um a snapshot of that time and how they saw the world. So it's really interesting because you do learn a lot on yep. that. But um especially like modern day drum production yep. is really just Gone ballistic with yep. what you can actually do. Yep. Um, so is it
0: is, so it, live, is it live drums? Li- live it's drums. live
1: drums. We live did drum. it all with them. Yeah. Where they, um, rolling was a TD10 or TD15, um, and that just lets us do a whole load of other things that we wanted to do because a lot of the references also were bands that used drum machines as well. So we decided to get a and you know a happy medium between it and <laughs> using an electronic kit. Gotcha. And it's fun. Using like superior drummer is um yeah, it's pretty good. The kits on that. So yeah, we're not so worried about having a super um you know, analog, you know, live kit yep. um sound on this. Uh because we're doing lots of production techniques on it as well. yeah, Due to influences. So yeah.
0: That's really cool. All right. Yeah. Well let's um let's start. Roll and roll and roll and all the way back to where it begun. So, um, so where are you from originally? Were you born and raised?
1: Um, I was born and raised in in Howick, um, which is in Auckland, middle class suburb, and um, grew up near the beach. So, spent a lot of time down there, and uh, we had a farm across the road. So, also on a you know running around hang out with animals or in the bush. Um, but it was also suburbs there. It sort of bridged quite nicely between nature and suburbs at the time. They just flattened everything and built houses over the whole lot. And it's uh yeah, it's a bit sad going back there, but no, mm, yeah, it's progress.
0: Yep. <laughs> and when did uh when did music start started to be- um,
1: I mean, I like music as a um, as a teenager, certain styles of music, particularly sort of more alternative, uh, industrial styles, gothy or punk. Um, so I was you know, into Baja, Susie and the Banshees, Skinny Puppy were definitely one of my favourites, Front 242, um, on the more electronic side of that. They're probably one of the most influential <laughs> things. And... Started doing music with other people. Um, sort of, was it my third year? What's that, so, I don't know, 90, in the early 90s anyway. Uh, so we had a, a band with a few friends um, doing, having a go at doing music that was influenced by bands like Pop Will Eat Itself. Um, so crossing rock with electronic kinds things so we just um, played around in that and gradually you know did some gigs with that with varying degrees of lack of success and um, then eventually was doing a gig um, and there was another band called raw meat from the balcony that were playing there at the time and they were used, they were a metal band and they were using Backing tapes as well with samples on it and they had some problems during their gig because their um The four sampler on cassette that they were using it um, fell off part way through the gig off the drummers little table and I just went up and fixed it, you know, so it could still work and Yeah, chatted to them afterwards. They asked me to join inside a computer that could do samples uh, And just do the samples live and yeah the sound effects so just sort of developed through from there in 96-ish yeah probably around then um 95 96 uh moved into town into a uh an old shoe warehouse so it was all covered in old shoes they made shoes for um transgenders and and the general public but they they left a large amount of uh transgender sized shoes that obviously they got done, but it hadn't been paid for all with test ones. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, yeah. I don't know what happened then, but someone obviously got them out of them. Um, <laughs> it was a terrible uh, mess the whole place. So we built the studio and that just using, um, wood that we got from um, demolition yards, right. and just you know, to build and do it just with the idea of recording our metal album. And by that time, we were, also, we were doing electronic stuff a bit as well and got involved in that, and the electronic scene was really starting to um, develop, and a lot of our friends were really into the electronic scene rather than the metal scene. Mm-hmm. So we were hanging out with them more and more. The metal band we were in was also playing at dance parties. Right. Uh, yeah, so there was a really good and healthy interaction between the two genres. Right, or, you know, I was
0: going yeah. to ask how that kind how that kind of went down with the with the dance crew,
1: you know? The, well, you know. especially drum and bass. Drum and bass is metal with electronic sounds. All yep. the riffs are pretty much known. Um, there are a lot of people that ab- abjectly denied that, but they were the DJs rather than the musicians. The musicians were all like, yeah, of course. And so many of the early electronic musicians, going to say early, the, of that particular wave that came through in the mid-90s, you know, they all came from metal bands you know, a large percentage of them probably well over half. So, um yeah, so while the DJs were going, oh, no, nothing to do with metal. All the people actually writing, you know, the local electronic music Um, were still listening to metal as well as writing electronic music. So, yeah. That's cool. What
0: sort of started to happen after that?
1: Um, just because uh, we released some music and it went out and it was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So you've got some cool points um but no way we're going to survive doing that we were on the doll at the time um just taking breaks from yeah having you know to be responsible um and find out you know just find out how to do what we were interested in doing at the time so we um yes we put out some music and it was accepted and people seemed to like it, but it was going to take us too long to get paid from releasing it from distributors and all the standard things like six months there was, there was no way it was financially feasible. So the idea to do release parties where you got the CD, the album on the night. So we could get rid of, you know, three to 600 albums in a night, which means everyone got paid. I and mean, yeah, we did that like, every sort of month, so it ended up being, you know, to six weeks, which destroyed us pretty much, but we got a whole lot of music out there um, in a short period of time, and it started a whole wave that people took seriously, New Zealand electronic music, because you know, we were, we'd been told by you know, high-level government, creative um, industry people <laughs> that New Zealand, you know, electronic music had nothing to do with New Zealand culture which is ridiculous when you consider people like Douglas a bit around and it obviously did, um, if you knew your history. But regardless of that, it was part of our culture now. So, um, yeah, we were dealing with all that. And then suddenly people realised that it wasn't going away and they started accepting it and we were doing really big parties. And, yeah, the media got interested and helped out a lot. And especially BFM, they were amazing. Right. So. Um, yeah, just developed through from that, and we got other artists coming in wanting to release music through as well. And then we did the Pitch Black album, and that went gold. And yeah, just trucked through along those lines for a while.
0: Yep. And had had Cog Transmissions formed at this stage?
1: Yeah, Cog Transmissions yep. was the name we used for the very first release, all right, trans- okay. All right, which was December 12th, 1998,
0: maybe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then and cog transmissions obviously grew quite a lot. Yeah. And so um, at what stage did it start getting sort of a little bit too much, too much going on?
1: Oh, well before it even started. Oh, really? It was ridiculous. Right. I mean, it's one of those things you do in your, you know, um, like late 20, we go, yeah, you just keep on working ridiculously the whole time. And, yeah, yep. the amount of work it takes to develop anything along those lines is ridiculous. I mean I still do really long hours uh, really massive hours every day. So but it keeps you fit, apparent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this was still was this analog still back then? It's to tape? It was, or, we was had... the
1: no. No, nah, nah, all the cognitive was all done digitally. Mm-hmm. So we had like the early versions of the Pro Tools or Right. And bouncing it down to dat and, and Right. Yeah, we never had a machine, apart from a, you know, a full track cassette one. Right. So we were at the beginning of that sort of change, or at the beginning of that sort of change.
0: Right. Did you feel it changing? Did you realise that you you guys were kind of, yeah, like a little bit, little bit ahead, bit of a step. Yeah.
1: Ahead? Oh, yeah. Um, in some ways, we were behind. In other ways, as you know, because there were people doing other things. But um, you have that confidence, and like we're just going to do it regardless. But. Yeah, we could definitely see where it was going. And even though lots of people were telling us, no, it's not going there, we knew it was, and it did. <laughs> so, yeah, and there are other things we had no clue on where they said it's going to go this way, and yeah.
0: Yep. And h- how many people were involved in cog, cog transmissions at this stage?
1: Dependent on the year. It got up to quite a few. The, um, I think there were, like at one stage, 10 people there pretty much full-time. Right. And then various other people as well. So, yeah, that was terrible. Terrible. Idea. A lot of egos. A
0: lot of egos, a lot of ideas. And yeah. Was yeah. there a um, – were you all sort of equal or was – did somebody have sort of final say in stuff?
1: Um, it, it, it depended because you have different levels of interest. Oh, and, yeah, right. So some people don't give a fuck and some people do. And – so that creates its own form of hierarchy or distribution in relation to things happening. And if people are looking after a certain area, then they do thing. So, yeah, it's like any organisation.
0: And did, were you still at the at the, the, the shoe warehouse at this stage or had you sort of...
1: Yeah, yeah. So we stayed, we moved out of the... Oh, I moved out after all the, other, the rest of the cold dissipated um, you know to off to do its own things i stayed on with the lease because the studios were there and i was doing the studio out of it um so it made sense and in end of 2009 i got a phd scholarship so it was like right well i'm not going to be traveling into town every day to work and you know having to spend all that time when i've got more than one focus, so we built a studio out on our section uh, next to the house, so I could do both things. Yeah, so we say this was two thousand and yeah, uh, the end of two thousand and nine, I think it was. Yeah. But now I get to work at home, which is
0: yeah, awesome. good. You'd have to commute. That's yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, I don't really like concrete that much as well. So going into town into the concrete was you know, I totally had enough of it. It was just like no. We're live out in the trees. And um, you know, very few humans around, you know. Looking out from our house, it's about five hundred meters to another house. So um yep. Yep. yeah,
0: yeah I've been to your place, so I I know. It's yeah. Beautiful out there. Yep.
1: Very really
0: cool. Yeah, we we had a good time when we were there. It was really good. Yeah, really fun. We did. So you mixed and, correct me if I'm wrong, mastered Scribe's yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Crusader album, yep. which was massive um, mm. and sort of was sort of record-breaking stuff, wasn't it? You want to talk a little yeah, bit
1: about Yeah, it's of- the new record holder for a week for the single at number one.
0: Right. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. that's impressive. So how did that come about and what, were those, what was that session like?
1: Uh, it depended I uh, said it was fun working with P Money he's entertaining in the studio he keeps you laughing um, I got asked to do it because I, they thought I was the best person for the job who could get them the best sound to that I'd been working with P Money on quite a few projects already so I sort of knew the sound he was after and um, yeah so just did that and the sessions came in various levels of organization sadly the stand-up track when it got delivered to me the logic session had corrupted so all i had was a bounce down of the track a stereo uh where they were last at and a whole load of files called audio one audio two audio three audio four so i had to completely reconstruct the entire track from uh guessing which takes were what just from unlabeled things right um yeah so that's what that one was that took a long time i think it took a couple of days two three days it took fucking ages anyway um yeah we ended up being their first number one but it was just yeah it was ridiculous you know how was that
0: (laughs) how was that feeling having that having that track sort of go to go to number one and because that was that your no you'd You'd had some
1: number ones with some of your stuff. I did various number ones and various things. It was like it was okay. Yeah, it's like yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's number one. Whatever, man. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, yeah, it's yeah. I just did the mix, (laughs) really. Yeah, right. Okay,
0: you're very humble, dude. Cool. And um, did that sort of open up some opportunities to other stuff?
1: Yes, for certain things, but it also closed off doors for other things Is that because, because people would say, "Oh, Chris, Chris just does hip hop." Or, oh, you, sold, you, sold or out, you sold out from your from your, um, yeah, oh, yeah So the indie people were yep. yeah from that side as well, and then other people said, "Oh, Chris just does hip hop," so oh. it closed as many doors that open them, and it did take a good nearly seven years to um, yeah to rework out of that. Right. So yeah, you got to look at things from both sides. So it was, you know, it was nice having you know, the New Zealand record for things and having, you know, three number ones off that album. But it definitely closes many doors that open them. Right. Because and you just get typecast as you know, Chris just does the person just does this. Right. That. And to get to get yeah oh, so you know, you know, yeah commercial stuff. So yeah, you won't get them to do any indie you know indie guitar stuff or
0: right. And how did you? Did you um have a plan to get yourself sort of to open reopen those doors? Um, you sort of consciously say, "Oh, let's let's seek out some some Indian sort of and go look."
1: No, I was a bit lazy and didn't care enough. Okay, Uh, we just focused on advertising, doing advertising work. Okay, because just after the Scribe album happened, anyway, was when copying happened. So suddenly CD sales just plummeted over the period of six months or a year so the budgets also plummeted by probably 80 90 percent oh, you right. know people freaked out so and they're all doing it in their bedrooms so we just focused on advertising and beast stuff for four or five years yep which was cool you know there was a lot of good um there was a lot of cool people we worked with and there were a lot of yeah it was you yeah, know telling clients they can't do lines of coke in the toilets. Um, yeah, you say, because you're just gonna come here and talk at me, and you know, it's pretty hard to work while you're talking at me. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and clients just getting so fucking pissed. Stumbling, this is ad class. Musicians are incredibly well behaved compared to ad clients we found. yes, yeah, so ad, ad clients throwing up at our toilets, dropping things, having getting into big screaming arguments, all sorts of oh,
0: stuff. what?
1: Yeah, but they. Uh, you know, the this is the problem ones. The, the cool ones were amazing, but yeah, the problem ones figured they were, with, you know, they were paying enough money they could, uh, whatever they yeah, act bad as people thought. You know, musicians cutting loose did. So yeah, it was weird. But we, so we moved out of that side of things. Yeah, we had enough by two thousand and ten. that so I started a PhD. I've um, got a PhD scholarship, so just focused more on that side of things um because it's low stress <laughs> yeah advertising is weird
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah so um were you doing the music for the for the ads
1: yeah and you know, and sound you know, design you know sound design and stuff like that so but yeah, it's a pretty cutthroat industry so it was just like uh nah, the vibe wasn't right right
0: um were you still having uh we're still getting um, regular musician type clients at that time, or had you yeah.
1: Just, just, yeah. There was still just juggling it between, it's not, but more of the income was coming from you know ad and TV stuff. And now we just sort of changed it back. Um, well, now so most of the income comes from mastering, or you know, and then we do mix down, especially stem mixing, yep. to help people finish off their stuff. Yep, yep, um, yeah.
0: Mm. And yeah. you had a pretty big year last year in regards to the amount of yeah. sort of uh, stuff that you played on that, that uh, sorry, the stuff that you worked on that got awarded at the um, Music Awards.
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous. And I was hoping I'd get, a, as a consequence, you know, I was hoping to get a bit of um, time off over January to do, but yeah, it's just kept on going. And I'm working on some really cool artists who stuff, I just go, wow, they're so cool. It's uh, real scary working with them because they're so, what they do, but they seem to like you know me helping out, so yep, and I tell jokes, so yep. that helps.
0: Yep, and you've um, you do a fair bit of managing
1: too. No, I
0: co manage, so you co-manage, and you co manage your mentor. Could I, should I say,
1: yeah. I, I like yep. helping people out? Yep, because I know how hard it was, and when we came through the music scene especially with the styles of music we were doing, electronic and metal, no one really wanted to help us out or put time in, apart from a couple of little people. Grant Kearney, Sample G, was amazing. George Ash from Universal, um, who's now head of Universal Australia and, or Southeast Asia or whatever, he was amazing as well. Um, BFM were great, but there was a lot of industry you know, pushback and there also wasn't the, uh, it was really hard to try and find information on even how to do stuff. So yeah, I like to help people out as much as I've got spare time, which is not much. Right. But we work with Ray, who's uh, we got a, co- a co-label with, so we can pass all the jobs we don't want to do to him responsibly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. so we're just showing teaching him how the industry works. He's cool and he's really talented and he works does tracks in English and te Maori so that's really interesting. Yep. Um, from our side, because I think it's sort of the most interesting aspect of New Zealand music in many ways at the moment is that whole re that cultural renaissance that's coming through Te Reo Māori music and the way that that can provide unique cultural accent or movement for New Zealand music overall. So I just think, yeah, it's just it, that's just as exciting now as the electronic, you yeah. know. Thing coming through in the late 90s early 2000s was or you know perhaps the hip-hop thing was in the you know early mid 2000s
0: right gotcha that's cool
1: yep. the challenge to learn a whole load of uh, words from a new language yeah so that helps yep yeah oh, so yeah so we were I, we're teaching greater um, you know just all the aspects of the industry and so we co-manage. It. He, yeah, he's onto it. He's got a degree in marketing Reo in Tereomari, so he knows what he's doing. But I just come up and help with the things that my experience give. So, commensal relationship.
0: Nice. That's really cool. Um, talk a little bit about beta cell. Beta cell. Beta cell. Um, it's one of your your own projects.
1: Yes, it is. It's true. Yep. It's true. I do stuff as beta cell
0: well where uh, where did beta cell start where did it begin was this back in the uh cog transmission days
1: uh it was before that it was um, 94 probably was the first um the first gig would that have been that would have been December as well um yeah, with a name quickly because we had to on the stairs of one of the other guys who was in it at the time, Dave Roper, uh, of his flat because he was putting on a gig. He was interested in being a promoter. He ended up doing things like Subtronic's and putting on lots of really big, you know, really important, especially um, drum and bass gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we started doing that as sort of ravey type electronic music as just something to do a bit more electronicy from the metal stuff. Uh, it was Pat and I, who was the guitarist of the band uh, met for The Balcony. So, yeah, we just did that and then went, dabbled in a bit of drum and bassy stuff and just mucked around on that. The actual first Beta Cell album came out probably 2004. That was after Pat had moved to Austria uh, to live. Uh, David left probably by 95, uh, he was more interested in DJing and promoting. Right. So, did that with, as a sort of collaboration thing with Timmy Schumacher, and that was just all breaks. And yeah, that did quite well. It had, the what was it, Lay It Down single was the most played track on alternative radio in 2002. And the following year, What's Down Low was the second most played. Uh, track alternative radio in New Zealand for 2003. So, yeah, that's cool. Well, it went quite well, and just at the height of it all, um, decided we decided to call it quits. And yeah, good rock and roll.
0: Right, but it, it's come back a little bit because you've done you've done some things. Yeah, yeah I've
1: been it. doing. Some, yeah, it's fun to write music, and I'm more interested. It's fishy and doing stuff more on slightly the drum and bassy stuff, but also with using pretty much all live musicians. And then instead of using standard singy type stuff, uh, doing it all in te Reo Māori, just for the challenge, as a learning thing to learn more of the language, but also because no one else is doing it. I've got a studio, so, you know, might as well try and challenge myself and make it as hard for myself as I can.
0: (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, New Zealand On Air Making Tracks Scheme. Yeah. That's how we ended up um, meeting you Um, because at the time um, I was in a band called The Company and we presented a song called Two Bucks to to the Making Tracks panel and um, you were on that panel
1: I was, and I really liked yeah, it.
0: You really liked that track, and you sort of, yeah, and that's really cool. And then once we, once we, um, we heard that we, we we got the funding. I think did you you contacted you contacted one of us? Contacted Ronnie or
1: you contacted me, and I was like, oh, cool, because that's a really cool track. What, Ronnie um, emailed me.
0: Yeah, and that was cool, and then yeah, we um, because you know we're over in we're over in Sydney, so we had. To- <laughs> We did some fundraising and and got over to New Zealand and we
1: yeah. came out and met you and yeah and we went out to revolver and did the drums eh we did we did with Jason, I think Jason Shishkoff. and senior yeah and yeah
0: yeah um yeah we did the drums and the bass out, and guitar out there mm, yeah. we did a yeah.
1: lot of it in the end there. yeah 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 we did
0: and it was oh man that was such a great time so are you still involved in the making tracks?
1: About once a year. Once every couple of years, I think I'm on a a panel, but that's all I do. I just listen to 100 or something tracks Um, and then say which ones I I like. So, I mean, it's been good because I've been, um, managed to be, I was on the panel that gave the first ever um, funding to a Te Māori track.
0: Wow, awesome.
1: Yeah, which is for Macy Reka Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and it's just it's just nice. And same for Alien Weaponry. I was on that one as well. Yeah. Right. I yep. oh, didn't have them. Um, and they doing yeah. well. Yep. So it's good yeah. thing being on that because you also at the end you get to present one, sometimes two tracks that you really like that haven't been voted in. So it was the same case with Macy's Tangaroa One, and and uh, you get to present why you think it should have a a grant. So they've got a really good process for that. It's really well thought out and it works really well to not just get tracks that are going to be obviously commercially viable for the particular stations, whether it be indie or you know pop, but also ones that, from your experience, you think this is going to fly. And like the tangaroa one, end up having like probably a million streams. Yeah. Um, that video. Yeah, it's just. Nice to have got to help out on that and um you know convince people to take a punt on something that did end up being so successful yeah, um now still being on that
0: panel um what what's the sort of quality of the music you're getting now? What's the styles?
1: Uh, i don't I haven't been on one for probably a year okay. um, it's just it's really broad there's there's a lot of indie guitar type stuff, singer songwriter, not much electronic, not much urban generally uh, yeah as in the sense of more rap uh, it's a bit of r&b that comes through it's more yeah pop and indie and um yeah that's predominantly what comes through yeah it, it, it does change every round so it's hard to tell i've only yeah you are on every one or two years it's pretty hard to um provide a informative statistical analysis
0: <laughs> yeah good answer um now your thoughts
1: on streaming yeah you know just gotta work out how to evolve into it does it pay less and is it in many ways a negative for the industry i think so because i know how much you used to be able to make even as a bedroom artist um you could easily make ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year in income as a bedroom artist by putting out a cd and you know app for streaming and rep fund equivalent um, and the odd gig there's no way you will do that these days Um, yeah so streaming pays nowhere near enough what it should which means artists have to tour as their main income stream which that's all good when you're in your 20s and you don't have kids but it it does initiate a significantly higher drop-off rate Amongst artists, which means that we're also losing a lot of experience uh, in the effective gene pool or the yeah, ecology of it all. So um, it's good that streaming income is coming up now, and oh, I think it is. Okay. right, yeah, it, it, it got it's it's past its worst point, but so many people had to give up on their careers, and so many studios had to shut down because as said, you know, when you suddenly over a period of a couple of years found that your budgets for albums dropped by say eighty percent. Um, you know, especially with the cost of studio gear. Yeah, when you think of reasonable EQ is gonna cost you, you know, close to two grand for one channel. Um yeah. So it means it does move stuff over to digital, but yeah, the costs of running a studio are not significant at all. So um yeah, we lost so many studios and amazing engineers that we shouldn't have lost. Um and that was, yeah one of the big functions was well, it was primarily copying, but the replacement alternative streaming um, didn't do anywhere near as many favours as it should have done when you're talking about expenses to produce a project versus income.
0: Yeah. You said that the um, the income sort of coming up or the, the process, you know, the, the return is coming up a
1: little bit. Is it on an upward slope? Will it keep, it yeah. seems yeah, that it's gonna. We just gotta work out where the limit factor is, right? You know where the curve flattens. So because it's going to at some point. Yep. And um, yeah, it's yeah. That's the people that can advise on that are the um, you know recorded music or the people that professionally work in those that statistical side every day. They're more likely to. Um now I, I don't have time to really analyse that too much apart from reading their reports sure yeah
0: yeah um do you f- do you think that's had an effect on the singles versus albums work that that you get yep. yeah oh it has okay
1: it, it does depend on genre, but um uh, urban music's moved to a very singles market and just boom, boom, boom. When you get enough tracks, yeah, you call it an, it an album. Okay. On the, obvious, on a different aspect, the the folk, alternative folk type artists, they're all doing albums because they're doing vinyl at the same time, so they need to have an album. So it does depend on the, uh, on the genre. But the more commercial something is, the less importance seems to be placed on an album. It's just get a track out every six weeks or whatever, and just bang, bang, bang. bang. And yeah. So, but you know, prog out, prog bands, they're going to still keep doing concept albums, which is great because concept albums rule. So, yeah, it does depend on the genre, but it's not as important at all for certain genres to produce an album. They can just keep on doing singles and as many as they can get out with as many artists as they can get out. It's a numbers game.
0: Right. That's very interesting. Um, now, last year you got uh, nominated
1: for Engineering Year. Uh-huh, funny, yeah. eh? Yeah, well, what's broken. funny about that? <laughs> well, for one, it was for a. Funny, reo, awesome. It was for a Te reo Maori. Well,
0: well there's, there's some
1: more history right there. Yeah, well, yeah, it was in that year two of the three best engineers. Um, uh, to, yeah, projects were Tarao Um right. So there's Alien Weaponries. Yep. One, and there was Ray's one. So, and that's the first time ever there's been a te rea project in the best engineer category. Right. Right. So, yeah.
0: And Alien uh, Tom Larkin, wasn't it? He engineered Tom
1: Larkin, Simon yep. Holloway.
0: Yep. 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 Right. Congratulations to you both, or to all of you. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, or did have, or um, I don't know if it's still there, but you had your gear shootout group. Yep, it's yep. still there. It's still going? Yep. 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 Um, do you want to talk a little bit how that sort of came about? And,
1: um, um, yeah, the main reason for a gear shoot was, especially being in New Zealand, when you want to find out what some gear sounds like, yep. you can't get hold of it. And Sorry, you can't, can't, let alone a, it. Can you just give a,
0: a quick description of what I, sh- I should have done that when I introduced the Gear Quick Just quickly tell people what that is.
1: Yeah, Gear Shoot's a site that lets you compare audio gear and plugins against each other. It's fully calibrated, so basically we've made things called reference standards that you can compare them in real time, high-speed switching between them so that you can decide which one works best for your ears and also break down a whole lot of myths. Um, So from my side, being in New Zealand, you want to get a piece of gear or try out three pieces of gear, but there's no way you can get a whole of three particular pieces of gear and spend the time shooting them out, let alone setting it all up. It takes ages. So we decided to do that at a site that would let us do that and also so I could compare later on whether this new piece of gear or, you know, what it sounds like compared to various other ones and what's the best bang for buck. So, um, yeah, and me coming from a science background, I got frustrated by people making claims about particular pieces of equipment that there was no evidence to back up that claim. My other thing apart from doing music is I'm a, a managing editor for a theoretical biology journal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so with that, it's all peer-reviewed by, you know, people with PhDs and stuff, and it's all got to be done to a proper level. Any claim you make gets verified and run through. But there were people saying things about leads or compressors or you know, various pieces of audio equipment, and it was like, that's just not true at all, I don't reckon. It doesn't make sense from my understanding of how sound works or physics works or how the gear works. So by sampling all these things in, we could do an actual comparison. And find out if they were right or not yeah but it's also yeah useful as a resource for people to you know if they want to buy gear yes yeah. if they want to check out which plugins the best one to buy yep they can go in and it to three or four other ones because yep. you know no one in the music industry has a, has a lot of money so so if you're gonna invest 300 us in a plugin you better make sure that you really do like it compared to other things so yeah, if you want to say compare three or four different UAD plugins or three or four waves plugins when they're on special instead of you having to load them up into your door find a sample do all the settings make sure it's calibrated which is not a small amount of work you can just load, go onto our site grab the one we've already done it for load them up and then shoot them out in real time and decide which one works best for your ears because some people like you know fit compressors you know, and they'll always choose those. Some people like opticals. Yeah, you know, I really like opticals a lot of the time. But there's different tones for different jobs. So you use using DBX-160 for a particular sound or an 1176 for another one and being able to actually realize why you do that quickly. And you need to be able to switch between samples really quickly, less than 200 milliseconds, really. Gotcha. Otherwise, your brain internal EQ adjusts and you've got no useful form of analysis. Right. So yeah. So if anyone, for example, say they're testing leads or one piece of gear or another, and they're playing it, and then they're unplugging it and plugging another one in, yeah. as soon as they're over 0.2 of a second, it's all shit, pretty much. Unless it's really fun. How did you How did you work that out? Uh, that's what I'm actually trained in. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I work with academics, you know, for my, um, my biology thing. And, you know, so they're doing hardcore maths and analysis and scientific method on stuff. And... Yeah, I mean
0: that's the world I come from. That's
1: cool, man. So I'll link the um, I'll link that in
0: the show notes, the the gear shootout, as well as your your website and any other sort of stuff. Um, we'll start to wrap it up. Um, any sort of last uh, messages or thoughts or
1: right?
0: Uh,
1: what's useful to know? Uh, there's never a shortage of talent, but there's always a shortage of hard work.
0: That's a good one, especially these days, eh? Fuck
1: like, yeah, yeah. You can do so much. But yeah, it's just that, you know, if you're doing and if you're doing things like engineering, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, it's just like being a performance athlete. You've got to be doing it as many hours and living, breathing, and thinking it, just to get your brain attuned to that level of delicacy or subtlety in the movements that you can do things that other people can't do. And that's why you do get things like, you know, people like mastering engineers or mix engineers or, you know, recording engineers to come and maybe just oversee one or two aspects of it or, you know, stem mixing is a popular thing. We do a lot for that where people get it as good as they can. They send it to me and I'll spend a couple of hours on it and go, just adjust a few things, change the feel um, sonically just to bring out the best in it. So, yeah, so, you know, you run as fast as you can and then you tag in (laughs) someone who runs or, you know, six hours a day or trains, you know, six hours a day and get them to finish off the race for you? You
0: know, that's kind of, <laughs> that was kind of the, the, how it, ha- how it worked with my EP and you, cause you mixed, or, sorry, you mastered my EP and plus gave me a lot of advice along the way, but that was, that was definitely the case. <laughs> and, and um yeah, I know what you mean about having to keep doing the work because I haven't sort of touched that stuff for a while. And, and yeah, it's, just, sort of
1: it's, to it, yeah, it's exa- exactly the same as fitness you know if you're you know playing rugby touch rugby um you know six you know you know uh let's say you go once a week for two hours how do you think you're going to go up against someone who's doing tux touch rugby from 10 a.m to six pm every day exactly it's like and that's okay so that's why you get them you know so yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right your team. All right. Chris Chetland, hear those kids screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on the Gig Life podcast, man. I, I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, Thanks
1: for having me. Nice to hang yeah. out and chat.
0: Yeah, it's been good to talk again. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, all the best. Um until we talk again. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. So. Man. Cheers, Chris. See right. So later, bro. See ya.